So I was on Twitter last night and I saw this guy post something about a block list circulated by a somewhat popular Asian American activist group. And he had the link to it. So I guess it was leaked somehow. And I looked at the names and yeah, a lot, a lot of people we knew we were on it, including yours truly. <laughs> and badge, of, badge of honor or and something. Seriously, I was, it made my Friday. Really? It, it just You're made like, my day. Yes. Uh, well, that and the Away article, which was hilarious, which uh, hopefully we'll get to at the end. But yeah, it was just like, oh my God, my self-esteem has been so... <laughs> Who else is on it? Like, so, um, I think like... Was there was a planet? Um, fortunately, I don't think you were. I was on not it. on it. No, um, I, I think I think you're a little too. Um, you're not on Twitter enough. I think. No, team was on it though. That's pretty uh, funny. Obviously, obviously, teens on it. Um, <laughs> was the Planet CS, Mag official? On it? Sorry, was was the Planet Mag official account on it? No, I don't think it was. Okay. Uh, CS, were you on it? No, I wasn't. Very hurtful. I was looking. Th- I was looking through the list. I was like, "Fucking just like like Aaron." No, it was Aaron the Chu. most uh weird list. Like Aaron Chu was on it. CNN apparently is on the, it. Like what the fuck? Apparently, the city of Melbourne was on what? it. What? <laughs> like the I don't know. Like the city of Melbourne's official account. The Guardian. The fucking the leftist Melbourneites. Chapa Trap House. Um. Oh shit. Uh, Edward Snowden. <laughs> Uh, Eliza Romero. It was just like oh, what the, uh, it was a bunch of leftist uh, Asian Twitter. Yeah, and, and you know the kind of like you know like Asian identity type of guys. Um, yep. it, the the kind of tanky. Cr- it, it was it was a very funny list. Oh man, bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was from the subtle Asian activists, activists. Yeah, Facebook group. I don't know what they're. Do you guys know what the deal is? I'm not on that. Like, I'm in like. I think they're just a bunch of tattletales, really. Tattletales. Like, I know them because one of the like, um, I once received like leaked images from them from a while ago, not from them, but somebody who was like, had, I guess, infiltrated the group or something. So you guys know uh, Dr. Karen Pike, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So She's I, awesome. I think I had tweeted something with some excerpts from what she wrote, and I think it made them really nervous because she was saying the kind of stuff that. You know, like some some like Asian identity guy might say, but she's uh, an academic, especially like a, a white woman academic, and she seemed to be validating what those guys said. I think they got really nervous. One of the guys uh, said he personally reached out to her, had a phone call about me. They actually uh, singled me out by name. And oh she, wow! And, and he was like, "Ooh, I, I bet she's going to soon come out and comment on on Oxford's writings," which of course she never did. And she and she and I had been communicating uh, through email for for a while since before just because you know i was curious about her work and all that so uh, like this guy this this motherfucker went like behind my back or something to like i guess see like oh that oxford you know he, he's a he's a bad seed you shouldn't you shouldn't uh you know was it was him. this person trying to like downplay her research or something or no like- i think he was trying to warn her uh, that i was some dangerous uh agent of chaos or something so, okay <laughs> um yeah so so that that's the kind of group they are. No wonder they have this hilarious block list. But as I said, uh, anybody who who's on it should be honored to be on it. And I, as I said, it made my day to be able to just look through this and because we all know these lists exist. Because I'm sure you and a lot of our listeners know that sometimes you check out the profile of someone you have no idea who it is. You have no connections to them, but they've blocked you preemptively. Yeah, and you're like, what? You're like, what the hell is that? Never so, touched them before. Yeah, so you know that these lists exist. And to actually see it in real life. It was very gratifying. Congratulations. <laughs> Asian Twitter drama. Escape from Plan A.
Welcome to this episode of Escape from Plan A. I am your host, Oxford Kondo, and sitting right beside me and joining us is Philip. What's up? Glad to be in New York. Uh, glad you're here with me, Philip. And all the way from Olympia, we have CS. Hey, CS. Hello. I wish I was in New York. <laughs> you will be here soon. Yeah, yeah And coming, we coming. will hang out with you soon. Yes. Uh, but in the meantime, enjoy the Pacific Northwest, where I am from as well. Uh, so this episode, we wanted to talk about, because we just did recently an episode about Sinophobia. Uh, none of us were on it, because specifically that episode was Sinophobia from the pro perspective of chinese americans this episode is going to be xenophobia from the perspective of non-chinese uh asians so let's go around the table metaphorical table and state what our ethnicities are for people who don't know us that well so philip why don't we start with you i am chinese canadian <laughs> <laughs> okay no so it's not it's obviously not that like i'm, I'm chinese vietnamese uh canadian um you know, ethnically Chinese. I think that I learned this recently getting into uh, online Asian Reddit spaces, like Hua Hua people, like uh, the the folks who are ethnically Chinese who were um, living in Vietnam for the longest time. Uh, parents were there, uh, you know, in their childhood uh, during the the, the um, you know communist uh, takeover of Saigon, and then they moved to Canada. Um, Five, about five years. They didn't meet there, but they moved. They both independently moved to Canada afterwards. Um, so that's kind of my connection there. Um, so Chinese Vietnamese. Yep. What's the uh, percentage of ethnic Chinese in Vietnam? Uh, I don't know the numbers. I do know that there are like pretty large communities. I think that there is some sort of like antagonism between people who are Vietnamese Vietnamese versus Chinese Vietnamese um, that I've heard of before. Um, but like the entire neighborhood, like where my my mom grew up. Like, they are all Cantonese-speaking, right? And so, like, you know, when you go down there, you can actually speak to people in Cantonese, um, despite being in Vietnam. So, not a small number, um, but not the majority, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, it struck me as, you know, significant minority. Um, is is there, I don't know if you can, uh, you know, have any personal experience, but is there, like, a firm division at, uh, of, like, Chinese, Vietnamese as a distinct minority, or is it more well-blended? Like I would say they're a minority for sure, just because I, I know that there's some kind of tensions between the groups. Um, but it's interesting, because, like, coming over to North America, Canada, and, like, certain sp parts of um, the states where there's a lot of Vietnamese folks, right, like like uh, Houston and um, L.A. area, uh, you actually find clusters of people who are also uh, Chinese, Vietnamese as well, and speak Cantonese, but have a... Vietnamese last name like I do and so on. Um, so it's, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's mixed in there, but a minority for sure. Yeah. But it, it does make for a interesting kind of take on this topic of xenophobia. Which right, we'll right. Yeah. Which is precisely why we have you on this pod. Yeah. Um, CS, what about you? Uh, I'm Japanese, half Japanese, half white, uh, fourth generation on the Japanese side. I don't know much about the white side of my family, but I feel like I am coming at this from like a pretty distinctly... Like a lot of Japanese Americans in this country, like American perspective, like the just like watching everything unfold in the news, it's like I'm coming at this with distance. It's not particularly like China is not something that a place I've ever been to. I mean, obviously, like I mm -hmm. have like had friends and stuff who are like from China, live there, um, but it's not something that like was something that I was thinking deeply about growing up, and it's just something that I have been having to like account with just because it's like it's consistently there and like being brought up like more recently 
Yeah, more recently. I mean, honestly, though, it's also the sort of thing that, like, I think especially, so I grew up in, like, pretty, like, liberal circles, and, like, anti-China stuff, I think, has been, like, a common thing just because it's, like, you know, labor practices in there are, like, so much worse than they are here. And so, like, boycott China stuff has been something that's been popular since the 90s, you know? Yeah, the free Tibet thing, and, yeah. Yeah, we just weren't, I think, we were too young to probably be aware of it, but, yeah, it's been around for a long time. Yeah, it's a long-standing thing. Uh, As for me, I mean, despite my uh, pseudonym, I'm Korean. So, and uh, Jess uh, was also supposed to be on the spot. Unfortunately, she couldn't make it. Jess was also Korean, so she would have provided that perspective as well. But I guess I'm I'm holding down the Korean uh, fort here. And Korean-Canadian, um, I grew up around a lot of Chinese people just because at the time in Vancouver, from where I'm from, the majority of Asians there were Chinese, namely like Cantonese-speaking Hong Kong immigrants. Which is different from mainland, right? Right, right. And like... it, it wasn't until later that the mainlanders started coming, and uh-huh. it was a different class. I think a lot of the Hong Kong immigrants were of a lower class, but then the mainlanders come and... Um, they're obviously they're uh, you know wealthier. You, you got I don't know how to, if I'm pronouncing right the you know the the fair die or whatever dri- driving around in their Maseratis and shit. <laughs> right. That's their class. Yes, yeah, so that's where I'm coming from. Hey guys, uh, Jess uh, just texted me. Unfortunately, they've had a power outage in California due to the rain. At least where she's from. Unfortunately, she can't make it. Um, a big loss. But I I think well we have to just go ahead with this recording. Oh, so okay. Yeah, um sorry Jess. Uh we really would have loved your your input here. We'll try to we'll try to do our best. Anyway, so we were saying okay, so we shared our, you know, ethnicities and uh you know, unlike in our last pod, uh on xenophobia in which all the participants were, you know, very clearly uh Chinese American identifying uh people, uh were not. So uh, uh let me just throw out this question. when how does how do you like if somebody says shit about China. Like, how do you how do you guys feel uh, as people who don't necessarily identify as as Chinese or Chinese American? It depends on the comment, right? Like, it could be anything from like, oh, like this fucking cheap ass like product I bought is shitty because it's Chinese, versus like, oh my god, these like Uyghur concentration concentration camps. Have you heard about those? Like, it elicits a different kind of reaction, right? Like maybe one where you keep mum, or maybe one where you say, you know, like, oh, like you know. What what are the actual facts? What's actually going on here? You know, like why is this? Why is it that Americans or Canadians are so interested in this? Um, and it could also range up to like fuck you, that's racist. But it really depends on what the comment is, right? Because there's a whole range of xenophobia from very like you know microaggression, subtle shit to super overt stuff that we see a lot today in the news or or in in everyday conversations. I mean, I, for me, I think it's a little bit different in the sense that at first it was like when I was first started hearing it. It was like kind of like confusion, like I guess, okay, yeah, maybe there's like a point to this. Like I don't I don't know that much about China, so it's like yeah, maybe things are like pretty fucked up over there. Um But then it, it's just like after like the deluge of like stuff on the internet, but also just like listening to other people talk about it. I think it's it's to this point now that when I'm like around someone and they like bring up China, my I feel like my stress level like kind of going up like I'm getting my spidey ready to senses it. yeah you know yeah you get you get on edge yeah because it's like you don't really know where, like where they're like coming from about that like is it they're just like regurgitating more bullshit information 
and or is it like coming from a place that is like more informed than I am and that's kind of like I don't know I mean it's interesting like listening to like teen talk about it who's just in the middle of his like visit to China right now and like talking about how it's like actually pretty nice place maybe it's got some problems but people seem generally like pretty happy there and I don't know I mean it's just like this very like confusing thing to like hear about from a first hand perspective that I actually trust versus like the media like listening to Vice News or whatever with their like constant like uh hit articles about how like awful Chinese surveillance is and shit and like connecting that to like things that are happening in the United States it's like how's how's that any different than the things that are going on in the United States you know a long history here so I don't know. I mean, it's I it, honestly it's one of those things that like gets like pretty irritating to this point. Yeah, there's a couple of ways to look at it and I, I think there's a there's a moral murkiness which I'll explain later. One is the the danger of xenophobia as non-Chinese Asians is that Americans don't really care to distinguish between uh, like a, a ch- what they really mean by Chinese is basically like yellow, like chinky-looking people uh of which whether you're Korean or Vietnamese or hell, even like, you know, mixed race Asian, you could, you will fit under. And, and one way to justify being against xenophobia is, hey, we could be accidentally pulled into it. But then the moral murkiness says, wait a minute, does that mean that xenophobia is actually justified? And the only reason we're against it is because we could get pulled into it uh, when it should only be limited to those actual Chinese, right? So that's the, that's the thing that, um, plays uh both apart for me as well one is like xenophobia some some i think naive asian americans if they're like i'm actually taiwanese american i'm not chinese american therefore xenophobia does not affect me i'm like oh jesus christ there's there's this aspect of the uh go back to your country right right and that's the michael law piece where he's like i was born here therefore i should be exempt from this go back to your country sentiment which is total bullshit that's a such a cowardly way out yeah but then isn't are wouldn't I be doing the same thing if my stance was, hey, I'm Korean. Like, visually speaking, nobody can really tell me, tell the difference. Well, like, a lot of Asians tell me, like, oh, I could tell you're Korean. But that's, like, I think the the narcissism of petty differences, you know, it's like, nobody can really tell. Uh, so, um, when I, when there's xenophobia, it's going to affect everyone who looks Chinese, whatever that means in, in American culture. But then shouldn't our stance really be, hey, this xenophobia is unjust, period, regardless right. of what we may be mistaken as. We should just be against it because a lot of it is just bullshitting uh, by like Americans who are trying to cover up their own, like, I don't know, trying to distract from their our own internal problems or trying to mask a greater geopolitical insecurity about losing uh, our spot at the top, etc., yeah, using using the uh, going back go back to your country like analogy, right? Like that's understanding when you become you know once you become someone who's a bit more um, confident in your in your background as an Asian American um, is understanding that the only correct answer to go back to your country is not oh I'm from here or like oh no I'm not Chinese I'm like Korean or whatever. The only correct answer to go back to your country is fuck you, right? That's <laughs> And I think that's why, like, yeah, like you said, CS, like you're, even though you're not Chinese, your, your, you know, your hairs rate, like rise a little bit when you hear this, your, you know, your spider, spidey sense is tingling a little bit. 
because you're like, well, you know, like they, they may not know the fucking difference. And, but also like, let's have some solidarity, right? Amongst our Chinese American, uh, Chinese Canadian, um, you know, friends and, and uh, compatriots. Or, so yeah. yeah, there's a part of it where it's just like, do the fucking right thing, right? And stand up for, you know, people who look like you in this case. Yeah, the thing that really makes me uneasy is uh, I just look back on my own life. And when I was young, because, uh, you know, I was growing up in Vancouver. And I mean, CS, if you grew up in Washington, maybe it's similar. You can attest to this. Although if I, I'm guessing like Olympia is not like, say, Seattle in terms of demographics. Um, right, right. So I think if you grew up in Seattle, you might be able to relate. But in Vancouver, there are a lot of Asians. So it's you, you grew up... Um, being but it's not even though the numbers are there it's not enough to have tilted say the cultural power mm-hmm. so i grew up uh being aware of a lot of negative asian stereotypes like dirty rude um you know like eat all sorts of like heinous things um kind of like robotic cheap like, like all, you know the usual stereotypes and i always said i always thought you know what that that's that's like chinese though like like koreans were were uh were different and, and one way uh that i remember being proud of that was the way our languages sounded i always thought you know especially because cantonese is uh I, I think to just be blunt a lot more kind of like chaotic sounding than than say mandarin so like like the the, the you know the the, the ching chong thing was i think especially uh, yeah, you probably felt like that was directed at chinese people and not at korean people right right so the way i rationalized it was you know that that ching chong stuff that it's it's that noisy uh can't like cacophonous cantonese a like, korean sounds a lot better yeah and that's how that's how i rationalized it and and the way even sometimes my friends and classmates would say they would be like um they would have like they would like make fun of chinese uh, things or, or kids or whatever, but then like Oxford, oh, he's Korean, he's okay. So I was like, okay, I understand that uh, even within the, the kind of like East Asian yellow hierarchy, uh, I can at least differentiate myself from from the Chinese. Yeah, and you I get think, an advantage from it, so right? Like, and why I would think, you not? and I've seen this online where some non-Chinese Asians will say something like, "God damn it, why do the Chinese always have to ruin everything for us?" In terms of, because if you look at it, um. Especially nowadays, if, if you're like if you're Korean, you're probably like, hey, we got it pretty good, you know, like Korean movies, Korean, um, you know, bands. Hell, today, uh, Son Heung-min, uh, in a Tottenham Hotspur, he scored one of the greatest goals I've ever seen in my life, where he went from his own box, uh, pretty much beat the entire team by himself, and and scored. It's like it's like better than the those legendary um Maradona and Messi goals because they only started at the halfway line. He right. started from his own box. Everyone loves Son like all around the world he's one of the most beloved athletes period mm-hmm. so if you're korean you're probably you could be thinking god damn it why do those chinese have to ruin everything for us with their uh you know boycotting blizzard or, or like with their blizzard shit and, and nba they're really ruining it for us because if it weren't for china everyone would love asians but that's the thing like you recognize that people are going to mix you up with the chinese like every fucking Asian American Canadian knows that there's gonna be that mix up, right? But I think there is that wishful thinking that you know what? It's like, yeah, we might kind of look alike, but if the vibe we give off, maybe the fashion or just our attitude, maybe we just seem cool, cool or not in the sense of like, uh, in the childish sense, but just like more friendly, just more more acceptable, more like- chill. Like oh, those like Chinese international students—they're the ones who are like jabbering away and in Chinese and only hanging out with themselves. I'm 
I'm like a chill Korean American. Uh, you know, I, I'm down to hang out with everyone. I'm, I'm a good liberal-minded American. I'm not looking to topple the international order. My country is an ally of America kind of thing, not an antagonist. Right. But not just, you know, across different parts of Asia, right? Like Korean versus Chinese Americans, but even, uh, or Korean versus Chinese, but also like Chinese Americans like to differentiate themselves away from um, like the, the fobs, right? The first geners who come into the country, often as students or whatever else, right? Like I definitely have friends who are Chinese, speak Chinese, but really want to fucking draw a line between them and people who are like from mainland China, like trying to, you know, get their footing as new immigrants here, as other students who are trying to, you know, get their lives going um, with their families out here. They they really try to make a, they try to differentiate themselves, right? They're like, we're not the fucking like ones that spit on the floor and like drive godly cars. We have class and taste and we speak English well and don't have an accent and all that shit. There's that as well, I think. Um, yeah, definitely. I I feel for them. It's got to be tough because all the, you know, difficulty I faced in trying to differentiate myself from what I saw as like negative Chinese stereotypes, I at least had something more, um, a better foothold. Like I'm Korean. That's like, at least mentally, it's, it's easier to distinguish yourself. But when you're trying to, when you are actually Chinese, and you're Chinese American, your parents are from like the mainland or something, or hell, maybe you're from like Hong Kong or whatever. You know, that's a li- that's a finer uh, distinguishment you're trying to establish. And I don't even know if they like deep down buy it, right? Because I don't know. What do you guys think? So, yeah, so do you like make that distinguishing? Like, do you draw that line in your mind or is it or is it different? Uh, I mean, I think for me, it's, it is different. And I think I'm not sure if it's like a JA perspective or just like generationally speaking, it's different. I think one thing that has been always kind of ingrained in my mind is like uh, the Vincent Chin case of him being mistaken as Japanese. Uh, and even in like Seattle, there's like a story that has been told to me a couple times of, uh, you know, right before internment went into action, they, there's like this white mob that went out in the streets when Pearl Harbor got bombed and they like burned the first like Japanese person they found alive. And that, Japanese person was actually Chinese. Um, and I think that kind of like generational perspective, uh, especially within the Japanese American community, which is like shrinking and just like constantly pulling at strings to like have some semblance of an identity, uh, means that it's more, uh, uh, I guess like inviting to like an umbrella perspective in terms of like a greater Asian American identity. And I'm talking about specifically like a very like liberal side of it. Um, the kind of thing that you would see in like a JACL newsletter. Um, and for me, I think that's kind of the, the same case because when I see, you know, like the xenophobia shit that's on like Twitter or wherever, um, I have that same thing of like digging my heels. Like this is like something you can't just like let happen because as we know, it, it's like a thing that like people don't distinguish. You can't actually like say, oh, I'm from Japan actually because that didn't work for those guys, they got fucking shot. It got burned alive. And so from my, my perspective, it's like the, the distinction is like, you, you can't actually distinguish it. I think if like you're Asian American in this country, it's like you can try to like contort yourself to like fit these things, but it's just like distinction between like someone from the mainland 
And I think since you're, since for someone like me, since I'm at such a distance from it, um, it, the perspective is different. I was going to say, guys, do you know what today actually is? Like, is it a holiday? It's Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th. Oh, was it really? Yeah. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, like, I, I had no idea that we're, we're, but as soon as you mentioned uh, Pearl Harbor, because I was on Twitter earlier today, and I always forget whether Pearl Harbor happened on December 6th or 7th. Um, yeah, I always get that date mixed up. Holy shit. But I think it was today because I saw it, like, trending. So, what a what a quinky dink. Funny. <laughs> as, 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 a, as a Canadian, it matters a little bit less, but we did definitely learn in history class about, you know, Japanese internment and, like, Chinese people wearing, like, I am Chinese buttons, for fuck's sake, to, like, make sure yeah. they're not confused by white people in Canada. There's stories of uh, Japanese-Americans... Uh, like getting fake IDs to like pass up as Chinese Americans and successfully not going through internment by working in like with like Chinese Americans and like just assimilating into that. It's like Amer. It's like Americans wearing Canadian pins, but they go to France so they don't get treated poorly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I think one thing that um, as like non-Chinese Asians don't understand is there's there's really nothing inherent about China that makes china such a that that you know makes china so much more unfavorable than let's say korean japan regardless of all the stuff you hear about what's going on in china even if that didn't happen uh i do believe china would still be positioned as a threat just because of just the sheer size and like an economic threat or like like, a threat in every way like think about it how many americas population wise could fit in china like four five i we don't really know like we have estimates of the population, right? But like assuming that China has about one and a half billion-ish people, that's like five Americas can fit into China. Like America's one region of China when you think about it. And and I think that really, really scares the shit out of Americans when you think about it, uh, when they think about it. It's, you know, how Americans often uh, accuse China of, of being a bubble or something. Oh, they don't let any information go inside and out. Mm. And the implication seems to be that will create, turn them into like some kind of hermit kingdom like North Korea. But no, China, if they just create their own universe, would be a totally self-sustaining universe. Uh, a universe that would be five Americas put together. And it, it just, like, I, I don't think people can really wrap their heads around it other than the fact that, oh shit, that seems scary. It's like imagining an impossibly big animal that's like taller than Mount Everest. It's like, I can't even really picture it. I don't even know how it works, but it just scares the fuck out of me. When you say Americans are afraid of that, do you mean white Americans or you mean all Americans? I think all Americans, including Asian Americans, I think, who have a very, let's say, complex relationship with uh, the motherland or the old, old country. Yeah. Who are like, I've worked so hard to assimilate into America now, uh, you know, this, this like China thing it threatens that. Um, I think a lot of people are confused. I don't know. Another perspective on the, the fucking 1.6 billion or whatever, like, sheer size of China is the empathetic perception or, or angle of, like, like, I don't think, I don't want to go and believe that, like, this many people are as backwards as Americans say they are. Right, it seems really fucked up to say that about this many people. Right? But see, the scary thing is there is you can see the incentive for thinking that, right? Okay, like so. Let's say because uh, there was a article I, I recently read. It's on the um, fair, which is the uh, uh, fairness and accuracy in reporting, and they said that uh, of all, if you compare the Hong Kong protests 
uh, to you know Haiti and Ecuador and Chile, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I'm not here to pass judgment on on like Hong Kong protests as a whole. I think it's a subject that I don't know too much about, so I think it's a very complicated topic. So I'm not gonna uh, pass judgment uh, on that right now. But the fact is that apparently, like the mainstream corporate media has covered that protest 700 ish times compared to say like 20 times in chile so are you saying we should ask the question why why is the mainstream media in america so fucking interested exactly and and once you ask that question the the answer is very obvious i mean you can say something like more general like um you know just like geopolitical uh yellow peril uh you know threat and all that but okay let's say let's uh let's just take as given that the, the media is uh is you know backed by corporations and corporate interests what is there if you're like say an energy company what is your incentive for demonizing china as a country and as a people and and the answer is in the very near future you will you see this fight for resources for um you know access to like oil fields in like south america the middle east africa etc and not only that but your business depends on justifying continued use of those resources and demonizing anybody else uh, who threatens to cut in on that. So it, it's something like if there's like a, a rival Chinese company, China uh, outbid you for access to like, you know, oil field on the, the Niger Delta or something, You it would be very useful if your country really viewed um, that Chinese company as like subhuman. And also, if you are trying to make the case that, um, you know what, Americans really shouldn't cut back on energy consumption because, um, and you, you know, you're like struggling to come up with a reason. It's like, oh wait, actually, you know what? Get everyone mad at all those chinks who are uh, using up all this air conditioning. I don't know, eating meat or whatever. Get them angry at them so that they won't get mad at us for continuing to like destroy this planet through you know extraction and all that you can easily see the, the incentive so it's not incentive. just about projection incentive. but it's about like occluding problems at home uh yeah by like well by i guess projecting them onto this other boogeyman yeah which I'm, is, I'm saying oh my that God, these five are not six times bigger than us yeah i'm saying these are not abstract desires to like maintain dominance just out of pride no they're you can easily like, see the money real involved. dollars at stake and why you would want to, uh, you, uh, uh, Philip? You're asking like, yeah, it, it doesn't really make sense to you know say that 1.5 billion people are all like depraved and not worthy of sympathy. In fact, no, actually, there is very clear financial incentive for a lot of these uh, powerful institutions to do exactly that. Okay, and then maybe as like Asians at home, quote unquote, here in America, they don't like these corporations don't give a fuck if the side effect is that you start getting treated really really poorly hell no they don't even care if like white americans die at 30 from drinking you know lead infested water right hell no they're not going to care about a bunch of yellow people that's true that makes sense because i I think too part of it is that american identity is so like based on it's like having uh, being adversarial you know so like if we don't have some some like force that is exterior to us that is like that we can pin as a force of evil then it becomes like far too introspective for ourselves and then we have to realize that like <laughs> all the things going on i think there's like a big thing with the 90s too like all the things going on in our own country that we that is just us that has nothing to do we can't like voice on anyone else it's like pretty bad and like not going well 
And so it's like, as soon as we can like find a scapegoat for our problems, it becomes this like wonderful opportunity for us to like, yeah, you know what? Fuck China. Like if we pile on this shit, like suddenly it's like not us. That's like a huge problem. It's like, why would you point at the United States for like all the problems of like pollution and shit when like there's way more people over there? Like clearly that's like the bigger problem. And I think that's like really yeah. a historical, there's such a historical precedent for like our way, our way of reacting to that and like trying to put like the pin on someone else. Yeah. And I saw this, I swear this was, um, I think it was like Glenn Beck or some, somebody on CNN. This was, I think like, I don't know, like 2010 or around that time people were, uh, talking about, you know, if, if sea level rise, sea levels rise by more than, I don't know, like half a foot or something all these cities will be wiped out. And, and on top of that list is like Shanghai, a city of what, like 20 million people? I don't know the exact number, but a huge city. And this guy like Glenn Beck or some other keghead on, on CNN was like, Shanghai, who cares about Shanghai? So you, you already know that <laughs> mentality is there that, uh, you know, millions upon millions of people. I mean, you heard, remember when Lindsay, I think it was Lindsey Graham was like saying, oh yeah, if there's war between US and North Korea, and uh, South Korea gets obliterated. He's like, yeah, that's that's like a collateral damage we'll have to take. We already know they don't give a shit about uh, these like yellow lives. Right. So um, it's really not that hard to imagine that uh, you know it's not beyond them to have be heavily incentivized to char- uh, characterize billions of people as subhuman for their own financial gain. So then, is that why like non-Chinese Asian Americans should give a shit about pushing back on this xenophobia because you know the the further dehumanization of chinese folks is going to lead to some pretty bad politics that you'll be kind of like culpable for i, I think it's uh, gone on a principled matter like no no people should be scapegoated for you know whether it's corporate interests for like military interests of, a, of an imperialist power uh, i think if you need that extra little personal incentive you can probably lean in on, you know what, if the great gathering uh, to the train yards uh, happens, your Taiwanese-ness, your Korean-ness, your Cambodian-ness is probably not going to help you. Uh, if you need that to give you that extra edge, then sure, go ahead. We all need sometimes selfish interests, but just as a broad principle, like as I said, uh, for all the th- bad things that could be happening in China and Hong Kong, 700 versus 20 what the fuck justifies that? You know? And you and you look at how all the other countries are are people rising up against US approved governments. I mean, come on. Like everyone sees what's going on. Yeah. I so I'm I'm kind of like personally I find this very difficult because maybe because I don't have my skin in the game in the same way that like our, you know, Chinese American um co-contributors on plan a like on their podcast like talked very they were very strong like they had a very strong stance on where they sit here right there's a lot of fucking propaganda maybe from both sides but certainly a lot from america and there's a lot about you know there's a lot of projection going on like we just said right a lot of uh, burying issues at home and pinning them on the chinese um you know but for me there's like i'm kind of like stuck where i'm how do i fucking tell what is propaganda from either side like i don't you know, have as much skin in the game to like really weigh in and believe that it's just like American bullshit. So it's, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but like, I'm like, you know, the Uyghur, this is the 
one of the, the toughest topics, right? It's the Uyghur concentration camps or vocational camps or whatever, right? I see some people on Asian Twitter who are very pro-Chinese who say, oh, they're like not concentration camps or vocational camps, you know, like people are okay there and so on. And then you see the backlash from, you know, liberals uh, and others alike, like Republicans alike uh, uh, or conservatives alike on online saying like, oh, you guys are brainwashed and whatnot. I'm actually not fully sure who to believe. Like I, I think if I was, was going to be honest, like on this, on the show right now, like there's some bad shit going on there. I don't know how bad. I think America is overblowing how bad it is, but there is some bad shit that it feels a bit wrong when I see Chinese Americans say, like who are pro-China, say like, oh, it's not a problem. I, I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? To, to me, it's, it's a question always of like why, you know, like for instance, like uh, when I was growing up, a lot of in Minnesota, there's uh, like a pretty significant of, population of tibetan refugees that live there and so like tibet was like something that was kind of on the forefront of my mind growing up and you know, just like in liberal circles and it's like that that's like really not a united states issue it's a united states issue because we involved ourselves in it but it's ultimately an issue because like the united states had interest in like countering the china as, as a narrative um and i think like you can look at like any so many different countries in the world and go through their like human rights record and whether it doesn't even matter how accurate it is you can like pull apart all like the problems it said the question i think has to essentially be is like why is it this information that you're picking up on why is it this information and not like talking about all like the fucking coups the united states has like pulled in like fucking uh you know in south america and shit why is it not like talking about like fucking drones blowing up like weddings in like uh, Pakistan, you know, there's, there's just like such yeah. a deluge of like straight up war crimes that are being committed. And they're like ones that specifically that we have a hand in. I don't want to like minimize anything that is happening in that situation, but it's ultimately something that we're not involved in. I think the real danger by like having a lot of focus on that situation is that it like becomes a pattern. It like conforms to the pattern of like United States interventionalism that is constantly trying to see ourselves as like the savior to this problem. Um, yeah. which, and we can call it like a total, that it is a problem and stuff, but it's like, ultimately it's like, there is just so many things that we actually contribute to that. Like our like tax dollars, whatever you want to like do the measure on it, uh, that don't get discussed that like totally just like no one gives a shit about in this country. It's not on like the mindset of the average American, myself included. And so when I like look at that thing, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, throw that on shit mountain that we have ourselves have dug up and created, you know, like, yeah, that's terrible. And also these other things. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I want to uh, refocus this on Asian Americans. Um, and I want to pose this question. And this is kind of like a hypothetical. And I think this may come to a head with a movie like Shang-Chi because... What if Asian Americans were offered a bargain? And I, and I actually want to specifically focus on uh, Asian American men because I think I, th- I think Asian American men may feel like if if you're like we are the ones who will get left out. Um, like you know, like uh, uh, traditionally, America and the West likes everything about Asian culture except 
Asian American men. We're the or Asian men. We're the most expendable. Like they'll take the food, they'll take the history, they'll take the culture, they'll take the women, they'll take whatever. Uh, but the men uh, get rid of them. What if they said, okay, you know what? Uh, th- this China boogeyman, um, they're they're a little uh, too strong. Uh, we might actually need you guys. And we're talking about you Asian men and uh, like huddle up Asian dudes. Here's the bargain. We're going to make you kind of like junior partner. We're going to induct you in as junior partners into like uh, the West. Uh, exemplified by, say, uh, like a Shang-Chi movie. Uh, I'm just using that as, as like a symbol of acceptance. Okay. We're even going to give uh, BTS the, the highest. We're going to like actually invite them to the Grammys and give them the, the highest awards, the Grammys. We're going to honor Asian films. We're going we're gonna to stop with like the small dick jokes. We're going to actually uh, invite you uh, into the club finally. And I, I honestly think a lot of Asian American guys would take that deal. I think, wait, 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 wait. In exchange for what? You stop there. Like, you, I don't know. Well, just kind of like... Uh, okay, so I saw this leaked script of Shang-Chi. I don't think it's really real. Okay. But it was like... Uh, and uh, and the, basically the story is that Shang-Chi is, is an agent of like MI6 or something. Basically a tool of, of British imperialism. Okay. And this is supposed to be like the Asian American movie. Just saying, we will accept you if you are a... Not a puppet, but a participant in our agenda. Against the China threat, yeah, right, and I think right because the the nemesis in the Shang Chi narrative is uh, the Mandarin Chu uh, in the movie. Oh, the, uh, in be... the movie, it's the Mandarin. Oh, okay, okay, fine. Um, sure. MCU. So I want to ask you guys: Do you think like a lot of Asian American guys would would take that deal? I I think they would. I think the truth is a lot of guys would be like, you know what? Like we were pro China mainly because we thought we had no alternative. But hell, yeah, you know what? If if we get to be a part of this, because ultimately Asian Americans are. You know, just as American as we are Asian, you know, we're we're more American than we are like Asian Asian, right? I mean, considering where we grew up, the language you speak, and all that. And I and I do think that if if that deal were ever made, I think a lot of guys would take that. Um, I I yeah. actually think that you don't even need to offer up that deal. <laughs> I mean, and there's like, already enough fucking like, we'll, like under undersell ourselves. Yeah, there's already enough fucking ourselves. like Asian fucking Chinese American and Canadian asshats, like I said earlier, who will sell out their, like, first-generation, you know, uh, brothers and sisters, right, who are pro-China in, in an attempt to appear as a good liberal Canadian or American. Like, I, I've already seen that. You don't need to fucking give me a deal. Like, people already do that. So <laughs> Do it for free. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I think the answer to your question is, like, yeah, they would take the fucking offer, but they don't even need to give the fucking offer. All, all they got to do is say, hey, there's an option. You can be a bad Chinese-Asian or a good Canadian or American Asian, and you take the deal, and tons of people have fucking taken the deal, right? Yeah, like imagine if Shang Chi comes out, and it actually uh, the, the, that leak script turns out to be kind of real. Yeah. Let's say the Chinese government hates that movie. If you're Simu Lu, what what do you do in that case? Do you because uh, we saw like Andrew Yang in the I didn't watch the debates, but I heard what happened. He would be say he would says stuff like you know we have to stand up to China. He always gets the questions about China, you know, which is bullshit. But like him, like if you think about it, a lot of white people like Andrew Yang. He has done far better than even someone like Kamala Harris, you know, rest in peace, who just dropped out. To him, like he, what if that's like thing? Okay, you know what? Even an Asian guy can become a somewhat legitimate presidential candidate, but the price is he has to like talk shit about China. And, keep, and be, oh, dude, keep in mind that he identifies as Taiwanese American. Keep that right, in mind, but right? that's already you've part also, of it. We've also seen the those like uh, videos of him speaking to all Asian audiences, saying that yeah. we're generation away from people shooting up 
of room full of Chinese. Yes, yes, Asian yes. People. So yeah, those, I, I those didn't like slightly it. woke moments where we're like, maybe he is a champion, and maybe that like you know Sean Gillis shit was just like a blip, right? Where you're like, oh, he he is fucking aware. He's aware of xenophobia. I think he is. Oh, he definitely is. Yeah. But but being like anti xenophobia might hurt his chances of his you know at his his uh his campaign. Like which side would he take? I think there's still I mean, just, just putting it all together. I think. My guess is he thinks that xenophobia is definitely real. I think he genuinely believes that, yeah, if things stay the way they are, we are possibly just, you know, a generation or even half a generation away from seeing, like, like an Oak Creek, uh, like, the Sikh Temple Massacre, except there's a bunch of, like, Asians. Uh, and the way to diffuse that is to be kind of, not post-racial, because he's not post-racial, but more, like, f- you know, focus things on economics be the type of Asian who forgives a Shane Gillis, uh, be the type of Asian who, you know, stands up to both, I guess, American established interests because, he, you know, he's uh, calling out MSNBC and, and you know, just like, the, he's not really like He's calling the them Democrats. out and not giving him enough minutes compared to like Elizabeth Warren. Right, but he is running. It's, it's completely self-interested. Like, what does it have to do with solidarity with Chinese Canadian or Chinese... Uh, Chinese people. No, no, I'm saying that he is not a total a servant of of the white establishment. Not completely, because he is running like an outsider campaign. He is going up against MSNBC, which is kind of the the media wing of the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's his way. I think of trying to defuse xenophobia. So that's like that's another deal on the table. Be be like an Andrew Yang. You, as I said, you may even be like a top ten ish presidential candidate, which is not, which is a pretty big thing, right? But here's the price you have to pay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think uh, with him, it, I, it, you have to ask the question of like not looking at just like Andrew Yang alone, but just like looking at like the position of like the presidency as a whole. I mean, like look at Obama, like the candidate that you knew when he was like running in 2007 versus like him in the actual White House. I mean, it's just like such a like much more watered down version of like all the promises he made. And to me, it's like, you know, it's good that that is something that's aware in his mind. I think we overblow the idea of like the actual power he's going to have once he's in office to actually like mm-hmm. stand up to those things. I think it like because it really does take an administration and just like so many other effects that like you really don't we we don't have the vision right now to see how that's going to change politically speaking. And it I think it's just like this. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, it's, like, being fair to him of, like, okay, well, on the one hand, he just, like, doesn't really have necessarily, like, the sway to actually push a totally, like, pro or, like, anti-xenophobia agenda. On the other hand, it's, like, you know, you really can't put too much weight into, like, the uh, opinion of, like, presidential candidates because they're going to, like, have to change their position. I mean, not even just, like, saying, like, the slimy politician argument it's just like it's just the nature of how that like that office functions and so i mean so saying that because because the american position is that china is the enemy yeah that andrew yang if he wants to succeed his position must be along the lines of china is the enemy yeah he has to like, in a take, bind right he has to take some kind of line where he's like in opposition to that because that is like the thing he's going to be handed to you know he can't like you turn on that did you guys see that tweet that tracks how often it, it's an infographic and it shows um, the countries most mentioned by the New York Times dating all the way back to like the Russo-Japanese war. And it's like the most mentioned country almost always 
is an enemy state in a war, and for like the last few years, it's been China. So there is so even though we're not like at war. I mean, like technically war. not not in the you know World War One yeah. sense of war, but it clearly shows is that I- ideological war, right? There's some kind of whether you want to call it economic or cultural yeah. or something. That 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 uh that picture made it pretty clear. Was that true before Hong Kong the Hong Kong protests? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going back like se- several years. Oh, okay. Uh, it, it's not just in the last like few months or th- just this year. Um, another question I wanted to ask you guys regarding Asian Americans is: I can see how things like the 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 Uyghur thing and and the Chinese involvement in Africa is going to be easily leveraged against kind of insecure Asian American liberal types as a thumbscrew in in our insecurities about being anti-black or being, uh, you know, that whole Asian privilege thing. And it's going to be like, you are just as bad as white people, which a lot of Asian American liberals want to believe, whether it's out of a genuine um, guilt or it's more of like trying to LARP as, as, you know, the, the white white guilt you're gonna have to be a little bit more specific for my dumb ass and maybe some some <laughs> listeners as well like what in what in africa because china is investing a lot in africa right right and, and a lot the, of a lot of people are saying that's like neocolonialism yeah i know they're like putting up these like terrible deals where like african communities have to default on these deals and then like give away land seed land or whatever like is that what you mean or is yeah there... yeah and then if you are trying to turn asian americans into loyal american subjects against the evil uh, red chinese empire i can see how they'll easily do that by pointing to things like that and and like the uyghur thing as saying see this is just typical like asian privilege shit you're just as bad as white people you're 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 the new like european power in africa apparently there was um uh, a video uh going around saying that these like young african kids were being forced yeah you saw that right there yeah. um they he's, were like he's got he's arts like training. in like he's got a gi on and uh, he's like in like horse stance and he's got like a plank of wood on his yeah, arms and, and, they're like crying, he's yeah, and, and, and he's saying some stuff in Mandarin. yeah right? and then i didn't even realize i was kind of white guy tweeted it uh, but so um, i already kind of suspect and the translation was that like i think he people who actually translated what he was the, the kid was saying the kid was like reciting some kind of wushu line yeah yeah and it was actually brought to my attention uh, by a tweet by, uh, I think his name's and- and Andre Domis. Uh, he's a black Canadian uh, writer. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, this is such bullshit. Like, I've done this, like, martial arts training. That- that's what they're doing. But the, the way it got retweeted, everyone's like, oh, look at these, like, evil, typical Chinese with their anti-blackness, you know, now. But they, they made up a translation, right? They really? said that the kids were saying something about, like, the greatness of China and so on and so forth. Okay. But really, they were saying, like, they were citing something from... Uh, like the wushu tradition that's oh, just really? like part of the martial art. That's what I that's what I saw. I don't like I don't speak Mandarin and so I can't tell you for sure, but that's what I saw and I I certainly believe the people who say it's bullshit um because it seems pretty well positioned as bullshit. Yeah. But uh regardless of what they were actually saying, imagine you are, you know, like a like a typical like Asian American activist type and somebody who really wants to turn you against China shows you something like that. And she's like, you know, like, don't you want to disavow these types of Asians? Not only are you uh, shooting like innocent black teenagers in liquor stores in, in, you know, poor parts of L.A., but now you're even going to Africa and forcing these kids and torturing them. I can 
easily see how those like Asian American uh, people would would uh, activist types would. Okay, well, there's two there's, there's two like angles, right? One angle is that you don't speak Mandarin and you don't know what they're actually saying, and then you can choose to believe what you want to believe. And I agree with you that a lot of Asian Americans, non Chinese speaking, non Mandarin speaking, would choose to believe, yeah, there's some bad shit going on here because that's what everyone else is saying. Or you, the more interesting angle is you you are Chinese American, you do speak Mandarin. And you do know that it's bullshit and those kids are just doing, you know, they're doing martial arts class. And then you have to decide what to say, right? You have to decide to say, this is bullshit. Those kids are just fucking in like karate class, right? And this is nonsense. Or you can say nothing and basically side with everyone else who's saying this is torture, torturing black kids. Yeah, I think it depends on how many retweets that tweet got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> If it got enough, I think the Asian Americans will crumble in an instant. That's we're not very optimistic, pessimism. are we? <laughs> we're like really not optimistic about how, like, uh, you know, it's it's fucking tricky, though, right? Like, it, you know, it's part of the assimilation question, right? You, part of assimilation today, as an Asian American or Canadian, is to shit on Chinese people, unfortunately, right? And a lot of people take that line. It's fucking shit. And I think it just, uh, it's a part of a pattern that I see with Asian Americans. I'm sure like other minority groups do it too, but uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I can only speak for Asian Americans. Is that we do not we do not 100% disavow the negative stereotypes and images we are more concerned with passing it off to another group within our community so you see the second generation trying to say you know what um all that shit you say about you know all negative about Asians like being say racist backwards dirty whatever uh, that may be true but that's that's really like the, the immigrants like our parents we were like we've grown past that so you know like because I think we ourselves believe in those stereotypes. What we don't believe in is that they apply to us and our subgroup. So I think the, as I said, when I was like a little kid, I didn't disavow the stereotypes about Asians. I just said, no, those only apply to the Chinese. And I think that's what's happening. Yeah, here. in the same way that I've also heard people, Chinese people get told by white people, hey, you guys eat dogs. And then the Chinese people say, oh, you're mixing up. You're, mix, you're mixing us up with the Koreans. The Koreans are the ones. You know what? Yeah, dogs. Koreans eat dogs. Who, who gives a fuck? We well, do it, that's what I right? had to have about it. But the, <laughs> but the ad you're describing that, you know, Asian Americans get into is that they pass the fucking blame regardless of what's true or what's like morally okay. It's just this fucking buck passing that we do because we're trying to strive to be the good Asians in America. Yeah. And it's like hard. As you said, the, the only right answer to, you know, where uh, go back to country is fuck you. Fuck the you. only right answer to, is it true that you eat dogs is, or at least if you, as, as a Korean, the, the answer is, yes, we do. And fuck you. Um, unless you're unless you're like vegan, you have no you have no ground to stand on. I think Germans do too, by the way, eat dogs back in the day. <laughs> but anyway, I know certain Europeans eat horse. Uh, Belgians um, do. Belgians do. Yeah, I think French yeah. do as well. They serve horse in uh, Belgian restaurants in Montreal, actually, in right. Canada. Oh here, my God. Yeah. I have no problem with that. I, I would just think the meat's very tough. Hey man, it's, horses it's the, are very lean animals. It's meat. It's like you know, use the meat up, or do they go to the glue factory, or both? Like that's just, that's part of reality. Right. Yeah. But no one ever fucking talks about the Western part of the reality. They talk about the crazy, terrible, monstrous shit we do in Asia instead. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that's very irksome. It's like if, if you want to, as an Asian American, if you want to like take a stance on China's like moves into Africa as being like a terrible thing and like totally exploitative part of the new, you know, honestly, I don't really have like a strong opinion about. It. Like, fine, go for it. Like, it's like something honestly I don't know that much about. Like, a lot of people don't know much about. But if you're going to levy that position, that that is like something substantively important to you personally 
then you have to be equally or like honestly more like annoyed or pissed off really about like Americans, America's involvement in those same like systems that have existed. And I'm not just talking about like past long, like colonial relationships that like date back to Europe. I'm talking about like pretty recent shit, like with like NGOs, like Americans going in like sexual exploitation, human trafficking and shit that we like directly contribute to. It's like, yes. on the one hand, I don't want to be like a broken record and constantly point the finger back, but I also don't think it's a deflection. I think it's actually, it's like, okay, Asian Americans, you actually want to like shoot the, for the moon and like really be considered fully American. Here's the legacy you get. Here's the actual bullshit that's like behind this. Here's the Omega's American legacy. Yeah. This you're, is, this is like the garbage with. that you are striving so hard to like gain the approval of. And that, that's like, that's actually a terrible and awful thing. And if you if you actually like want that, then maybe like take a step back when you like look at the things that like you don't actually you probably just aren't very well informed about that are like happening in regards to what China's like political actions and look at like the actions of the nation that you are striving so hard to be considered a part of. Okay, so this came up in the the first pod on xenophobia. I want to know what you guys think. What about what aboutism? How do you feel about what aboutism? Like the idea you know, that you are def- deflecting issues by saying someone else is doing it, so it's okay that you're doing it or whatever. I think it's uh, at times a necessary counterpoint to very selective, uh, almost like concern trolling. Um, you Obviously, like, you can't use... I mean, whataboutism taken to its logical extreme means everything is justified because everyone has done something crappy mm-hmm. uh, ever in the history of space and time. Um but I think if there is, as I said, 700 versus 20 in the uh, coverage, I think that warrants a little investigation into yeah. what is up with that. And to say that is whataboutism is trying to cover up for your own very obvious bias. Like, compared to how much coverage the, the I think they call it the candlelight uh, revolution in Korea got mm-hmm. when uh, Park Geun-hye, the president, was peacefully uh overthrown by the people mm-hmm. it really wasn't reported on here and guess why because she is she was a right winger and in korea the right wing is very u.s friendly mm-hmm. and the and the people who are against her were i mean they're not like i don't think they're socialists but they're they're liberals or progressives which in the korean context and i i don't say this as like an expert on korean politics generally though if you're a progressive in korea you are friendlier with like North, well, no, maybe not friendly with North Korea. You're probably more sympathetic with the mm-hmm. historical reasons why North Korea is the way they are. You're more sympathetic to that. You're more open to China. You're much more skeptical of the U.S. We didn't see much um, coverage of that. And then uh, I also learned recently that in the 80s, there was a, a Polish priest named Father Jerzy Papilushko. Uh, they're the crazy Polish names. But he was uh, like one of the leaders of the Solidarity Movement. Um, uh, and he was like killed. And then there was like nonstop coverage of that. And I guess he was kind of like the, the that was the, the Hong Kong protest of its day. And this like one guy died. He got way more coverage than. And we're, we're talking about the 80s here. This is like, like you know, the, all the Reagan bullshit, you know, the all the death squads in, in South America and all that. None of that got any coverage. But one guy in Poland dies, and he and like they like wrote novels and 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 stuff about. It. Not literally. I'm just saying like there's a lot of paper uh, spent, um, you know, making him a hero and everything. 
Do uh do you guys feel like there's I think Teen mentioned this on their pod, but like there's this fucking frustration you have with speaking up against xenophobia as a he said, you know, as a Chinese person, like you can't fucking speak up about the um uh hypocrisy um with xenophobia, right, from Americans, um, without being called like, you know, a a traitor to the country or like, oh, you're Chinese, you're obviously brainwashed or whatever else. As non-Chinese Asian Americans, like, do we, do you feel that kind of pressure as well? Yeah. I mean, not, not definitely not to the same extent. I think one thing that like, I mean, going back to like what you're asking about, like with what about is, I think it's the, the question is like principally about who, when you invoke it, you're speaking to. Because if it's to a generalized audience, like a general Americanist, which is often like to like a white audience, um, but also just a non-Asian audience, uh, it's like a pretty easy thing to like defeat. It's like, okay, you're like deflecting. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's not the point we're making, you know? It's like a very like obvious thing that's like not helpful at all. And like, you you look bad. It's a bad argument. But I was thinking back to like a tweet that a teen posted that was like kind of pointing out like, uh, I think it was like something, I can't remember what it was addressing, but it was like a what about is a move to like talking about like, uh, anti-Asian racism within like the black community and like all like, you know, listing all like all the things off. Um, which I think is like something that if you're not Asian and you're reading that, you like teen looks like a fucking insane person. He just looks like some like disgruntled, like <laughs> old Asian man who doesn't like, like want to listen. He is a disgruntled old Asian man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're just like gonna shut him down, you know? Maybe you should. I don't know. It's uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, like, I think principally, what is important? I like thought about that tweet for a while because on the one hand, like I see that, and it's like very obvious in the comments and like the like ratios and shit that that stuff doesn't really fly for a general audience. But I think if you're like doing it in the sense of like self advocacy to like talking to and audience that's specified to like asian americans it's like i think that is much more of a condition of like wait a minute this is like a thing that you need to think about in terms of like standing up for yourself and to me that is more honest because Mm -hmm. it's like you're advocating for yourself so maybe that is like a shitty argument for like you know talking across like racial differences certainly but i think it is also like you want to like find people who are like kind of saying that because they're going to give you the most straight answer of like, okay, but what is my interest in this situation? What is the, what are the things that I'm going to get out of it? And I think that is something that is like not particularly a common thing within a lot of like Asian American discourse around these issues. It's like, you need to actually be thinking about like, well, how's this going to impact me? Never mind if it's going to like put someone else of like a much more awful situation. Uh, you got to be thinking about like, what is the message that like Asian Americans are going to be like gathering from this, from, from these kind of tweets that are like pointing us out to be like very much more white proximity and like not like as Asian American racism being a thing that is not actually uh, legitimate or like does not hold weight. Yeah, that's a really good point. Philip, to answer your question, I think as a, as like a Korean Canadian slash American, I don't think there's a threat of me being called brainwashed because of what, like the Chinese Communist Party is somehow gonna reach like a Korean international and, yeah. and brainwash me. I would say more the silence would come in within like an Asian American like social justice context, which is why I brought up 
those uh, arguments that I know will be used if they're not already being used about Chinese excursions in Africa and, and how Chinese treat certain Muslim populations within their country and then use that to scare Asian Americans by using the whole like Asian privilege, uh, you know, rack to uh, force us into silence. I think that's the resistance I think I would face. Like, for example, if I spoke up, um, somebody would say, oh, you, you, a, you yellows don't have real problems. Not only are you, you know, wealthy in America, you're also imperialist in Africa, um, Islamophobes in, in China or whatever. And, and as I said, I think a lot of Asian Americans will just instantly crumble under that kind of pressure. And you, you guys have some really geo geopolitically aware like friends or acquaintances if those are the kind of points you're bringing up in a conversation well these are not like, my friends me, I, it's, it's like basic are... shit it's like chinese people eat dogs you know chinese <laughs> people make bad electronics like it's just that fucking basic racism mm -hmm. right it doesn't get into the stuff like the 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 you know pearl of like was it pearl of uh, strand of pearls strategy that china is using in africa that is what you're referring to and so on right like they don't get that far it's very base shit and for me i think like the white abelism thing like maybe there's a sense that in these debates or conversations with people who are um sinophobic like the answer is a bit of humor like a bit of like um parody sarcasm of some sort satire right like responding to something about like the Uyghur concentration camps were like with with uh, a line like I know. Oh, thank God we're so fucking good about how we treat Muslims in America, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, and I just, I'm really glad, like, you know, as a Chinese Canadian that, like, you know, we don't have issues with the racism against uh, Muslims here that we solved all our problems. I mean, it's a little bit better in Canada than America, so it doesn't fly, but I know. It, it, I'm trying to find, like, for me, like, in these conversations, which I do have with my friends and family in, in back home, is that, like, I'm trying to find a way to talk about it without the fear of being, you know, labeled, like, not brainwashed, I'm also not brainwashed, but I am also, like, Chinese-Canadian, like, I do speak Cantonese, and so they may think I take a certain side. Um, a way to talk about it fucking productively, right? Just, like, talk about known facts, right? And known, um, yeah, like, contortions to the truth, right? Um, but it's really hard to do, because most people, you know, like, one thing that came up, like, this uh, new Pew study, that came up just uh, this month, right? Um, I think Canada has a more unfavorable view of China than the U.S. does. Both are really unfavorable. 67% Canada unfavorable uh, towards China versus the 60% in, in the U.S. in the study, right? Like, And that's up a ton from just two years ago. It's gotten really bad recently. So on a day-to-day -day basis as a uh, Chinese, Vietnamese, Canadian, it's like, how do I even have conversations so first of all one like the conversation comes up a lot because it's always in the fucking news cycle right ever since the huawei shit with uh with the executive there that we've we arrested for americans in canada like this is all over the news all the fucking time i don't think it's just because we're on asian twitter that we see it all the time right and then two then your friends talk about it at like dinner parties and shit and then you sit there as the asian guy like not knowing how to respond without being viewed as like an extremist or whatever that's that's the day-to-day -day problem i'm dealing with right and i, th I think there's a key uh, you know Philip, how you said you you flip it on them say oh yeah that's you know it's so great how america uh treats muslims i think that on its face just maybe looks like glib whataboutism but i think the important point uh to justify your anger is 
thing that, that pisses me about stuff like that selective focusing is is when it is used as a way to i think i think a lot of and i'm, I'm talking mainly about like american liberal types they have this guilty conscience about the fact that uh america does all this shit but they also know they passively benefit from it like say american uh imperialism in africa like resource extraction guess what that drives down the price of your iphone by like a thousand bucks because they have access to like lithium and, and cadmium or whatever so on one hand they know it's bad on the other hand they know that it improves their day-to-day consumers lives do they know they don't know again like maybe your friends are much smarter than but mine I, but do I, they know I, again like what i'm i'm talking about just like people online like uh, yeah none of my friends and i really talk about this outside of plan a so yes. yeah you're right no most of my friends probably don't think this way i'm just talking about like a kind of like hyper the people who are alert, debating it yeah, yeah hyper alert it. online crowd um so if you're if you're like a good conscientious like american liberal type who nevertheless still wants to continue to passively benefit from all this american fuckery you got to unload that guilt somehow and china is the perfect target uh and that's what that's what pisses me off and i think if you can if you can articulate that, then it's not just about whataboutism. It's it's like you your select like that person's selective targeting of these stories is a very selfish and uh, ultimately um, regressive uh, justification of a lot of bad things because it benefits them, and that's why they don't want to call it out on their end. I think a I think a part of it too. The more I think about it, is like you know, especially I mean, just talking it from my own perspective alone, like. I think a huge thing that what you we could do argumentatively is just like getting better informed about it. And I'm not just saying like trying striving to find the sources that like are 100% accurate. I mean, I don't even know what those would be. I'm just saying like level your propaganda out like so it's at least like, you know, 50/50 some, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh cuz I think yeah. You know, a huge part of like these conversations that you're talking about is like in terms of like, uh, really we're talking, you know, you're having a conversation and really everyone at the table might be pulling up a good front, but no one really knows what the fuck you're talking about. You're just kind of reciting whatever yeah. bullshit that you've heard in the news. And if you're like me, uh, it's mainly from like these news sources that are just saying the same old shit about China. That's like very easy. Um, and I think, yeah. so in our position as people who are like into anyone listening, you know, I think it's really important to like get at, get like very critical about like the stuff that you're intaking, put in the effort to like double check sources, click the links, like follow through on it. I mean, I guess if we're like trying to like come up with like a model of solidarity for like Chinese Americans, then it like requires greater investment. It requires like actual work on our part because you know, I, I'm like thinking about this just on this pod alone and I'm like, yeah, I honestly don't know what I would say in these situations. I mean, a lot a lot of all I have is just like poking holes. It's like, OK, but where did you get that info? What is like the counter narrative? And, you know, like asking questions, you know, and I think that is a good place to start. But if it's like if you're trying to like win the debate here, there's not really anything to like you can't do that if you just don't actually know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, that's a really good point. I also want to want to just have like a general warning especially because asian americans who uh, yeah as you know a lot of us don't really know what's happening in asia really avoid projection because i see this a lot in in the whole like the hong kong protest things where uh you know like china is portrayed as like a, a lot of i think uh angry asian americans who really want to get back at like american racism they project all this uh 
benevolent qualities onto onto China as the protector of not only Asian interests, but like Asian American interests, of which there is really no real proof to support right. that. There's no real proof that China gives a damn about uh, Asian Americans. And in fact, they may see you as, uh, you know, half turncoat liability already. Um, and then uh, they project all this negativity uh, to the Hong Kong protesters. Like, we don't know what life has been like there for like the last 10 to 20 years. And they say, no, based on, uh, you know, this picture of, some guy acting foolish, you know, like waving a Trump flag with Pepe the Frog saying everyone there is like that. And they and all the like shitty Asian Americans they've known in their lives, they project those people into those Hong Kong crowds. Like, you know, like it's not really about you. So, um, you know, obviously, as you said, CS, question all the bullshit and the, uh, and the motivated reasoning we see out of, uh, you know, American media, American culture and all that. But also don't project your own shit. Right onto a very complicated political situation and make it all about you is it uh is it better to get information from chinese people like i like to talk to people who are actually uh you know are from china or like have visited recently to try to get a sense of what's happening is that more valid than reading articles on cnn and so on i think i think definitely if you're doing the cnn thing you got to do the other thing i think it'd be inadequate if you only relied on you know word of mouth stuff from people who just visited there but i think definitely if you like you know don't trust cnn on its own use them as one piece of the puzzle if necessary but yeah i think get it from as many sources as possible yeah because the alternative is just like when that argument comes up and you don't actually know anything besides the cnn story you really can't do anything but like keep your mouth shut otherwise you just look like a raging idiot you know right yeah um, I think uh, we've spent enough time on uh, this. I mean, obviously, we're going to revisit this topic. It's so big. It's going to continue to develop. It will probably be yep. a big geopolitical issue of our generation, um, not to you know put too heavy a burden on it. But for the last part of this episode, let, uh, let's have a little bit more fun and talk about this great article that came out on The Verge about this company called Away and uh, about the crazy... Uh, in fact, I say crazy, but uh, as you were alluding to, Philip, earlier, this might be quite common. This company just happened to get exposed because they had, uh, you know, whistleblowers within it. But uh, anyway, so this this uh, article came out on The Verge, I think, Friday. It's about this, this uh, company that makes... Uh, suitcases there i guess they're they fashion themselves as a millennial brand because they're direct to consumer they do most of their advertising on like instagram or whatever and um philip what's 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 the what makes their bag so special again or their suitcases yeah we were discussing this with uh mark just yesterday at a restaurant and we're like what the fuck is special about these away suitcases like i understand casper right casper mattresses they have like special memory foam it ships you in like uh in like a like a fridge sized box so it's like portable and stuff but Which like Philip, you told us last night only came about because the patent, like, uh, yeah, yeah, one of those mattress companies, uh, their patent ran out on the memory yeah, and then everyone jumped Casper on it. And like, there's nothing special about Casper versus yeah. Lisa or whatever else. But, um, the suitcase thing, I think all we could find out was that like they have a built in battery pack so you can charge with like a USB port so you can charge your iPhone or whatever when you travel and it's built in so you don't have to go on Amazon and spend like nine dollars on your own portable battery pack. 
But, but apparently, <laughs> uh, that prevents it, you from carrying it on some kids. That can't be true. That would be so defeating the purpose of having a bag like that. But I could see maybe in, in some airports that, that applies. My God, that, that's just totally useless. And I saw, I went on, because I, I never heard of this company before until I read this article. So I went online, looked up these pictures. Because in the article, all the employees, that's the thing. I read this uh, article and I was like, okay, the, the bosses are jerks. But the employees are kind of saps too. Um, they're very, uh, you know, easily swayed. It seems by uh, you know which brand is hot on Instagram. Ooh, I gotta work there because my dream is to work for the most uh, ideal corporation ever. It's not even like what is because because there's one uh, person who worked there said, oh uh, yeah, uh, Away makes suitcases, but their their mission is so much more than just suitcases. It's about travel it's about freedom or something like, like it's about travel is not a mission in fact uh given uh, how much pollution these planes create we should all be traveling less it's not a good mission <laughs> to to uh travel so um these these people seem kind of uh, uh they're re- uh, probably very bright people they they have this like striverism um quality to them that i don't particularly like but I so I, I went online and I looked at a picture of these suitcases. They just look like the like the in-store brand you would have seen at like Sears if you walked in and just looked at their suitcases. They're nothing special. They're nothing. I don't know. Maybe it's marginally better than Samsonite, but it's a fucking suitcase. So I, think I have Samsonite suitcases. They 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 last. They're me. fine. They're fucking fine. I got three like, pieces for a hundred bucks. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so the, this person, this woman at the center of this whole thing, Steph Corey, the CEO. Oh, she's like, a doozy. Yeah, there's all these like fucking like screenshots of her chats on Slack with her co-founders where she's or her her um, employees where she's super tone deaf. She's like cutting vacation and calling it a. Oh, please like, let me read out. This, this was this was <sighs> by far the funniest thing I read. Um, uh, Philip, uh, continue. I'm going to try to find this. Uh, yeah, she's 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 a terrible person, and she like it, apparently she like everyone's fucking terrified of her. She like picks some people for the smallest, most like but you know tiny mistakes. Um, yeah, a public humiliation is her uh, method of of uh, motivating people. Okay, I found a quote that uh, this is the best part of the article. So it says, "The day before Valentine's Day, Corey decided she was going to stop the team from taking any more time off." In a series of Slack messages that began at 3 a.m., she said, "I know this group is hungry for career development opportunities. In an effort to support you in developing your skills, I'm going to help you learn the career skill of accountability." To hold you accountable, no more paid time off or work from home requests will be considered from the six of you. I hope everyone in this group appreciates the thoughtfulness I put into this creating this career development opportunity and that you're all excited to operate consistently with our core values. <laughs> so she says, I'm going to give you the gift of uh, punishment, basically. And I expect you to grovel in gratitude because now I've given you the chance to uh, abide by our uh, insane standards. This is and like rules. this is some like um, shit from Hooli from the show Silicon Valley. Like it sounds <laughs> like a fucking parody, but she actually wrote this. And then uh, apparently she then uh, told her employees not to like this article on Twitter. Uh, there was a follow up. Uh, yeah, this this piece came out, it blew up, and then like the the uh, PR team internally there is trying to like not cover it up, but like say like don't share it, don't comment on it. We're trying to fucking deal with the situation. It's this is like like you know I I work in the smart startup world. This kind of bullshit is really upsetting because like if you think about the this Steph Corey woman, like she has a certain you know startup founder characteristic you'll see in other kind of 
folks like Adam Newman from WeWork. Everyone's kind of knows about that WeWork like debacle has been going on. Yeah. And maybe it takes that kind of strong personality to raise the five to ten million Series A in order to build a company like that that has enough marketing on fucking New York City like subway ad takeovers to make people think that it's a big deal to work there to suck them into this abusive relationship like it's this whole really messed up system where certain people like her get elevated to a point where you know they can use their ego to pull people into really really terrible uh work situations right our value system is just fucked up like when did uh having a lot of subway ads become the sign of cool prestige like isn't that where like personal injury lawyers used to advertise themselves. Like, why is it that these young people, who I'm sure are very qualified and very well educated, like, okay, so the, the article ends with somebody saying, "Never work for your dream brand." She answers finally, "It'll kill you." My response to that is, "Don't have a dream brand. A brand. This is just a suitcase company. If you want a suitcase, just buy a suitcase." Yeah, what a there's miserable no philosophy. dream. Jesus Christ. There's no philosophy to a suitcase. Okay, it just packs your shit to where you're going okay um there's no philosophy to casper there's no philosophy to we work okay this is just work all right find i mean it, it just speaks to a greater um, it's a new cult man right it's, like it's a spiritual emptiness right it, i i don't i gotta find meaning in life somewhere so i'm gonna yeah. invest so much into into my work which in like the history of just like of civilization like nobody's really considered like, you just did sit stuff because your dad did it and your last name was based on what your dad, what your family trade was? No, you didn't. You didn't sit on a rock on a pond somewhere and say, "Do I really want to be a blacksmith? Is this my <laughs> calling in life?" No, you just did it because that's what that's what you were supposed to do. And obviously, thank goodness we kind of moved away from that kind of rigid system. But still, like a job is a job, okay? And and you should have a life outside of it. You should have um, other passions, projects, loved ones, etc. And 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 to hear about like places like WeWork where you have to go to the fucking England to go to a, a music festival that's privately held by we oh my god that just sounds like the worst weekend obligation of all time. yeah yeah oh man my mom my sister was telling me about uh she works in animation for a big a big company that, that like does a lot of the animation for uh big budget Hollywood films and stuff she's telling me about like when she like got the job offer or like multiple job offers that she's gotten in that field how it's like you you don't get just like a job offer. It's like they also have like a place lined up for you to move to. Like you have like a social network of like people that you're going to be like hanging out with, that you're going to go to these like events. There's going to be like these catered parties you go to. It's going to be like, like it's like the idea of you're selling not just a job, but like a whole life. And that's the thing is, is like just so disturbing to me, just like working like normal bullshit jobs, like because it's like, I see people at the normal bullshit jobs I'm working now get like too invested in work and they're miserable people, you know, they're like people who are like, can't like separate themselves for when things go like belly up at work. So it's like, everything's a personal attack, you know, it's just, it's like such a toxic way of like organizing your life because you're assuming that like, when you get this job that everything's going to be great, that it's like, you found like the ace and hole thing that is going to like give meaning to your life. But then you're like in the yeah. thick of it. And as soon as problems emerge, because problems are going to emerge, especially if you've got like some fucking moron, like spoiled rich kid who's like the head of the CEO who <laughs> doesn't know how to like solve problems besides throwing labor and people at it. You know, 
then suddenly as soon as like that doesn't work out you're like devastated and that's like the bigger problem i think is just like having not having that like separation is huge it's just like has such a huge impact on like what the ability really for these like places to function at all in any long-term way yeah and, and like like a basically like a living community that's uh based on where you work and they probably isn't that like what those levitt towns from back in the day were like <laughs> and now we regard them as what as like uh dystopian like corporate yeah. suburban has gone wrong yet we so supposedly like hip young people are voluntarily going into this and and the funniest thing is like you know you, you work for a way you can you can try to gussy it up as like oh this is really about travel you, you're a suitcase salesman and obviously nothing wrong with that but you think about it, okay, so you, you're you selling suitcases and living in this, like, planned community, uh, which has its bases back in, like, the early 20th century. It just seems like we're going backwards light speed, uh, at a light speed level, yet we think we're, uh, oh, because we, we work in tech. Yeah, I, I don't know how, like, selling suitcases is tech, but I'm sure that's how they sold it. Um, if we think we're being modern and cutting edge and somehow living our best um, lives or something. I don't know. You put a I battery think a lot in a suitcase of... and that's actually what you did. <laughs> a battery in a suitcase you can't actually use. It's great. All these fucking consumer, consumer, like, you know, startup, consumer product startups, they're not, there's nothing new. Like the, one of the ads I saw in New York, like in Times Square near my office, was like a ad for Quip, which is this like new um, electric toothbrush that's like, I think a little bit cheaper and maybe better, but probably not. But now they have like a, a subscription service attached to it where they'll like renew your tooth toothbrush head every three months automatically for you. But it's still a fucking toothbrush, right? The innovation was when they got it to be electric and like it, you know, cleans better. But since then, like they haven't really done much. And like we've fucking solved most of the first world problems we have. My litmus test for this kind of thing is like toilet paper, right? Like toilet paper or a bidet or whatever for those who want to do a bidet like that's 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 it like that's a pretty fucking good luxury like it's you know like there isn't much more advancement we can do we live pretty fucking comfortable lives here but every single company here has to find a way to make more money or in the case of these startups every single hedge fund has to put money into a VC or something and they had to like you know double that that uh that money and get an ROI on it in order to uh you know hand over retirement like there there's some limit that we're hitting up on and this away company is just another example of these companies that are trying to like advance past that limit but there's a fucking limit speaking of toilet paper like wasn't there that innovation lately where like Charmin introduces a huge uh role they called it like the bachelor role it was like big as a tire or something <laughs> And it, I guess it lasted you like months. <laughs> I guess, but it's just a bigger. The point is, it's just a bigger roll of toilet paper, right? right? And, and like, that that might be the the last great innovation left. What, is, what if your just toilet mess. paper holder doesn't hold a bigger roll? <laughs> oh, there's a market for that too. Then you get a, yeah. a new one. What if it's like built into your wall? <laughs> Maybe they can build some kind of uh, thing that that breaks uh, a dimension open so that the, oh the bigger God. roll can Goodness. go in there. <laughs> and and that's how we discover like time travel and it began because a startup wanted to find out how you could fit in dude innovation like 18 inch diameter toilet paper roll into a tiny new york city uh studio bathroom good sci-fi movie t- terrible reality <laughs> it's brilliant because it's the exact same argument for nasa you know so it's like you might as well be doing like a suitcase with a battery in it because what's next you know your suit might have a battery in it next and then 
the possibilities are just really interesting, like endless. But yeah, that, that article was was quite a joy to read. It was um, the real question is how many how many startups are not being profiled for being this fucking shit? Right, as, I, as I said, this employees. is probably not that um, exceptional, and, and I would not blame uh, Miss Corey if she felt unfairly singled out. Like she yeah. used to work at Warby Parker. Uh, you know, she, she didn't invent this; she learned it from somewhere, right? So. Um, you know, they're, 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 they, if they feel they're getting picked on, they're probably right. Anyway, uh, this has been uh, about an hour and a half. Seems like a pretty good place to to stop. Uh, any, any last words anyone wants to say? I'm good. Happy okay. to be here. Um, so yes, you're coming to New York soon, right? Yes, yes. Going to be there for the holidays. Excited to see the New York people hang out. All right. See, see you at the Christmas party then. Yes. <laughs> Plan a Christmas party. <laughs> All, All right. right. <laughs> Enjoy. Okay. Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye. Oh, <laughs>